It is now time to welcome Sam Shaber. With infertility, the physical abuse is hard. The financial abuse is even harder. But what hurts the most is the emotional abuse. I mean, sometimes it feels like I'm stuck in this invisible hole, just looking up at everyone casually posting their first day of kindergarten pictures on Facebook, cousins making family trips together, and pregnant women waddling down the street casually like their miraculous physical state is just no big deal. Sometimes it feels like I'm so deep in the hole that I will never get out. So it's 4 p.m. on a Monday when I step up to a door in North Hollywood. And I know that this is going to change my life completely. I know how much work it's going to be. But I know that I need this. And I look down and I see Hattie for the first time. She is a little blonde poodle terrier rescue dog with a tiny puff of curls on top of her head. And I can see that her little tail is broken but she's wagging it eagerly as she looks up at me with her giant chestnut-shaped yearning brown eyes shining. Something surges inside of me that I haven't felt in a very long time. Joy. Welcome to IVFU, a podcast about the pain, joy, angst, and love of trying to make a family the new-fashioned way. I'm your host, Sam Shaber, and that was me you just heard performing a story about finding a moment of joy in the darkness of it all. Today, you'll meet Maureen, a single woman doing IVF who simultaneously found herself in the swirl of fertility health coverage legislation. What makes Maureen so inspiring to me is not just that she refuses to take no for an answer, but that she turns her defiance into a party almost every time. In the beginning, when I was first starting out, I had this doctor and he was like, take a dip in the sperm pool. Don't overthink this. We laughed about it. And I I picked a comedian because, haha, everything's funny. Like, that was it. I had a sperm donor (laughs) selection party. Everyone got drunk and we picked a donor. Like, that's how that went down. (laughs) So I'm speaking with Maureen and you are in beautiful Albany, New York. Yep. So I'm very excited to talk to you as a woman who is doing IVF on your own. And I would love to know how old are you and how have you come to this decision? Did you always want to have kids? Were you, you know, 12 years old playing with dolls or? Yes. So I'm 44 as of last week. Happy Um, birthday. Thank you. Ideal age for IVF. (laughs) Exactly. And um, as far as wanting to have children, I remember sometime in school, I was probably about 12 or 13. So it's interesting you just said that, where they asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like a mom. Duh. Wow. Of course, that's what I want to be. Yeah. And then I was thinking, actually, if I, when I fast forwarded to grad school and I was, I don't know, let's say 27, I have no idea. And we were supposed to map out kind of our future. Like, where are we going to be by 30? And I was like, four kids. Yeah, that's sort of been the path all along. It just didn't go um, the route, per se, that I thought it was going to go. Right, exactly. Um, But yeah, was never a question, so. What was the degree you got? 
Uh, I'm a master's in counseling. Well, and actually what, so that's a question I have is, do you have support? Do you have therapy or family, friends? Like, Yes, I have been supported out right out the gate, right even from, and when I started kind of talking about doing this on my own and my parents wholeheartedly embraced this. And I have to tell you, I'm certain this is not what they had sort of wished for their oldest child. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I was 30 and I moved back in with my parents. I'm sorry, but no one should have to do that. And they did not want that either. <laughs> Oh, Lord. <laughs> but um, yeah, support in, all right, this is what you chose, then let's make it happen. So I am incredibly lucky in, in that area. My sister and my mom did the initial consultations with me and all the appointments. Oh, wow. And my sister said, I'm asking you one thing. And like, I will have your back to this whole thing. Go talk to someone. Mm. And that's all I'm asking. I, the reason I ended up in therapy, which is one of the best things I ever did, is because my sister, who not the best part about it is she is not like I am a lot more um, vocal than she is and probably a little bit pushier than she is. So the fact that she would say, I this is my one ask and I will give you all my support. I didn't question it. I didn't want to do it. But it said something that she put that out there. And so I listened. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So I love yeah. this image of your family. Do You had sort of a summit meeting is in my head, you know, and you're like, if we're doing oh this, my God. Yeah. Like, badass. how many siblings do you have? Uh, there's four of us. I have three uh, siblings, two brothers and a sister. And do the they have kids? Four. Yes, all of them do now. The youngest one just had a child. Mm -hmm. So how is that for you as it as you know, because I'm an aunt myself. And I have moments where I feel very frustrated. And then I have moments where, you know, I love my nieces and nephews so much, I, I'm exploding mm -hmm. and it's all fine. And, yes. you know, but it can be very, very hard when you are struggling yes. on your own journey and people around you are just, boop, 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 <clears throat> you know, hopping them so, out. Yes. So my sister and I were pregnant at the same time. Oh my we gosh. literally would have had the same due date. It was just bananas. Oh my like, gosh. File that under can't make this up. Yeah. I miscarried eight weeks. Oh. Um, and that will go down in history as the hardest thing. I I think it was harder for her, to be perfectly honest, than me. The guilt she had mm. and then the guilt that I had that she felt guilty. I mean, it just was oh, so complicated. Yeah. Um, she's probably who I'm closest to in this world. But now I look at him and it's, you know, 90% of the time uh, what it's doing is just reaffirming why I'm doing all of this madness. And then... The other 10%, you're like, oh, it's kind of a little bit hard to watch, but certainly watching them grow up's amazing. And so can you give me like the bone structure of the timeline? Well, it's interesting. So when I first started, I was doing it just to say I tried and then I was moving on to adoption. And then the more I got into it, the more I realized it, it was going to be harder than I thought to walk away. Like I only went to a fertility office right. to be inseminated. I never knew I had infertility. I found out real fast. Yeah. Um, so I did, I think, two IUI cycles, one of, and then a third was canceled. And then I went right into IVF. And yes, yeah, so my very first pregnancy was my very first round of IVF. Oh, wow. Um, it was the worst possible quality embryo you could ever have. Oh. Um, and I got pregnant. But that was a ectopic that ended right. almost immediately. Um, and my next IVF cycle will be my eighth one. Eighth. And then how many did you do with your own eggs? I think I stopped using my own eggs in 2017. Wow. Um, and my last cycle with my own eggs, I was sick start to finish. I had this like weird feeling like I was allergic to myself. It's actually when I started looking at autoimmune stuff and working with a neuropath. I was okay walking away from my own eggs at that point because I was so physically sick. 
I don't know what that was all about. I mean, mm-hmm. I was on so many meds. It could have been that too. Yeah. But I remember being like, nope, I'm allergic to myself. I'm done. I'm I'm rejecting my own DNA. Take a step back and, and kind of reevaluate. And then I want to go back a bit. So you've, once you, you finish the testing and you're starting, you're starting the process. Are you mm-hmm. thinking of sperm donors? Like, did you think of like, if this was my boyfriend, you know, like if this was my no. husband, this guy looks like he could be my husband kind of thing or no? No, literally no. not. I really didn't Did you think about race or ethnicity or anything? Were you trying to, because it really like the world is your oyster. Like once you're working with donors, it's so funny. Um, I It's funny because I, well, the first time around just went sort of matched my personality. I was like, I just want to be funny. We'll have a funny kid. Everything will be like lovely and never like nothing ever worked out with that, <laughs> that one. Oh. Um, I have this thing where I just don't overthink. I think because there's so much other stuff that's so stressful about this. Well, there's something to be said for a gut reaction too. like if you yeah. see a profile and you're like, yeah, I mean, let's do it. You know, I could see why that would be totally viable. Yeah. I mean, I now use an egg donor and a sperm donor. And I yeah. sort of did the same thing. I chose the egg donor, my second egg donor, actually, because she like loved Ireland. I was like, cool, we're good. Um, <laughs> and I looked at some like medical stuff, you know, but I almost didn't have the emotion, like the emotional capacity to give that probably what it sh- should have. So I actually most recently had two friends. I narrowed it down and they chose. Wow. It's interesting because they looked, they found stuff that I just didn't. I just was like, yeah, we're good. Huh. They so, found reason. You mean they found reasons? To yeah, like my one another. friend was like, "So this woman has like ten allergies and goes into anaphylactic shock." I was like, oh, "I did not read <laughs> that. I did not see that at all." That was on page um, four. Yeah. So we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, and I went with the Ireland girl, but and I went to a psychic. I mean, I just feel like there's some things that I probably do a little bit different in this process because I try to have a little bit of fun when I can. But yeah, I think that's healthy. I think so much goes into choosing to do IVF then you think it's just going to work. Yeah. Like it's confusing when it doesn't because right. Really, they're making you pregnant. Why is it not sticking? So I think there's a cumulative effect to it all also. So like how I dealt with that first loss is very different than how I dealt with the loss over the summer. The second pregnancy. Yes. Because I felt like at that point I was just exhausted four years later and did not regroup very well. And then I was okay. And then I wasn't again. And then the holidays hit. So it was a little bit of up and down, but teetering on the edge of that, to be honest, was just what I needed to happen to be like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not done yet. There's no baby in my arms. I never thought I'd be five years into the IVF world. I thought I was just going to do it to say I tried and gave it a good faith effort. I'm shocked by how important it became for me to carry my own child. I also know I would be okay not doing that. Mm-hmm. But walking away became an insurmountable task that I didn't know how to do. I'm shocked. I'm still shocked by it now. I mean, I'm gobsmacked by it, quite frankly, mm-hmm. because I had to sit down with my doctor and say, you're going to have to walk me out of this world. If it comes to that, I will. I don't know that I have the strength to walk away unless you push me out when the time comes. And he said, I will. So, right. So then, so, and now you're starting another cycle, you said? I, I'm in prep mode right now. It's, yeah. you know, um, a lot of acupuncture, a lot of appointments. I've hit the appointment place, mm-hmm. I, you know, acupuncture and massage and yoga. And I start my intralipid infusions next week and I'll be. What's that? Yeah, I do weekly infusions of fat emulsions. It's a big, uh, because I don't need more fat. What does that do? I don't totally know. It's for inflammation. I went gluten-free and I went dairy-free and I did all the things they suggested and I got pregnant. Right. And that's the one thing insurance covers. So I do it every week. (laughs) 
Wow. Just to get back at the insurance company. Yeah. So. so let's so let's talk about insurance because that's one of the sure. main things I know about you is you have become mm-hmm. quite mm-hmm. an advocate. Um, so your insurance it did cover the IUI back in the day. It did. I did got, it cover it any of the IVF? To, no. This is <laughs> the insurance I have was a lifetime max of six IUIs up through the age of forty four. Wow. But that was and that was not medications. That was just the the IUI. The turkey um, baster. Yeah. Thanks. Like th- that costs like almost no money. So right. <laughs> is this on credit cards or are you managing to cover it with your income or, or borrowing or? Uh, definitely not with my income. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, definitely not with my, definitely not with my income. Um, yeah. I mean, if we're being totally honest, I'm lucky in that my parents have helped and yeah. I, I hate every part of that. This, my parents busted their asses to work for their retirement and I hate that I take from that. I hate it. They are gracious about it. Um, but I also work, you know, kind of around the clock for it. I am someone that's like, all right, I'm going to work X number of you know, hours of overtime and that's going to pay for Metapure. And then I'm going to work oh, another right. X number of hours. And I've been very lucky. I've made incredible friendships, I will say, in this community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've shared meds. And thank God for that. I had a woman that, um, a friend that had to walk away from treatments um, and gave me probably... Uh, several thousand dollars worth of medications. And wow. my doctor advocates that, and he's saying, which is so illegal, but he's saying, talk to each other, go buy meds, share meds, donate meds, do all of that. Yeah. You know, the community aspect of it is the one silver lining out of all of this is that this group of women that I have met are the most badass group of <laughs> individuals I've ever met. I, I keep thinking, I've often thought if we could time the lobbying so that we're all at like that sweet spot of estrogen at the same time. And we all like storm through the Capitol at the same time. We'd be terrifying and effective. And I just, right. Like no one will vote. No, like, because these are, there's nothing stronger or more badass than a bunch of women that want to be moms. Like don't mess with us. Yeah. I think it's so funny. And I was going to say, you know, you feel, I'll say sheepish that your parents are helping you. You feel badly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had help from my in-laws actually, but then you think of all those people whose parents can't afford to help them, mm-hmm. you know, and that cuts out probably the majority of the population is that Absolutely. way. So it's another reason why this is not fair and, and just illogical that it is not covered. Yes, that's what it is. It's not common sense. It's, right. It's creating a class system within fertility, within mm-hmm. the world of fertility, which is absolutely rich people can somehow, some way make a baby and people that aren't rich can't. Like you're saying that only people with money deserve to have children. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's, and then I entered into potential parenthood, let's say, uh, single income. There's no option for me then to save money for raising that child yeah. because literally everything I have has to go into it's a daily decision for me to sort of, and my sister recently said, like, stop hoarding the money. You need to use the money to have the kid. And then I worry about what am I going to do to raise the kid? And she's like, well, you don't have the kid. And we go back and forth and back and forth. Ugh. But it makes me anxious because you don't, there's this money that's like, okay, that's daycare for half a second. Right. For the most part, I just kind of hunker into, I cannot even figure out next step. You have to really kind of stay in the moment. Yeah. But financially, that's, that's impossible. Well, and I think it's also looked at as elective. Mm-hmm. It's like getting a nose job mm-hmm. or something, you know, whereas these things that are deeply emotionally mm-hmm. affecting that are medical, 
it, it changes your life. I mean, it can ruin your life. You know, yeah, I, it, I was telling someone the other day, too. I think it's so funny. I'm pretty sure IVF started like the year I was born. I just turned 44. Oh, and that was the last time legislation was voted on. So it's like, oh, my God, like, how are we still not here yet? Right. Um, it's really interesting, too. And what's mind blowing to me is that the other part of this legislation is for women that have had to go through chemo and need to freeze their eggs, that's not covered by insurance. And go ahead and don't cover my IVF, to be honest, at least cover that. Like that doesn't even, that makes me rageful. So, and how does the lobbying work? So, cause I think a lot of people, I mean, I don't know how lobbying really even works. And it's, it's amazing that you are, are so open about this and so strong and that you happen to live in Albany, which is where the state capital is. It's just the stars aligned. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So you guys, you, how many people are there? What do you do? You, you walk into the Capitol building and you just start knocking on doors or is there a plan? How does it work? I had no idea. The, the yeah. beauty of all of this is that there was one point person from our doctor's office that was the one that was communicating with the lobbyist and there's a couple of nurses that sort of spearhead it. Um, the first time we went, we we literally just went and knocked on every single door we could find. And I mean, like every you just door. walked into the building in the middle of the day. Yeah, we were like, hey, yeah. Do they up? have a hey. metal detector? Like, are you do you have to like you walk through the thing? Yes. Or? OK, we did go through that. Yeah. All the details. OK. Um, and how many? Yes, of you were and just there? knocked on doors. And then that was a smaller group, which worked really well because you can it. The interesting thing is what we realized after is you can kind of circle the desk of the person that you're talking to and sort of capture them so they can't get away. It's really awkward. But yeah, when you go door to door, when you're at the Capitol, too, it's interesting because people kind of half listen to you until you realize that if you can really get them to listen to your story, then they say, oh, well, my sister did that or my friend did that or my daughter just went through IVF. And then the more you go door to door, you realize that every single person knows someone. Yeah. And every single office, a sister did it, a friend did it. But there was a senator that got off of the elevator at one point and said, I had IVF, give me your information. And then another local congressman came up and said, oh, my granddaughter's going through IVF. And so that said, all right, that said to me, let's, all right, let's keep talking to him a little bit because he might pass some information on. So it's really just a matter of being prepared at any moment to sort of awkwardly share your story. And then the office realized the more kids they could get, I mean, kids are disarming, like babies. Mm, People right. don't know what to do. Show, show a baby in their face. But again, it was really just, if a door is open, go talk. And is that a policy that, they, is that how it officially works? If my door is open, people can come in and talk yeah, to me? Is that a, definitely. what doors are you knocking on? Do you know who these people are? I mean, are they like, you know, could they be agricultural people or like, who are yes. There was actually some animal thing happening the same day we were there that day, which was funny. So I think oh. we were all talking about different things, but well, it's hey, funny it's because fine. yeah, you could go in there and do and talk about fertility, and the next person is talking about you know plastic mm-hmm. banning plastic bags, and the next person is talking about lowering the speed limit somewhere, and you know the last the last yeah the last time we were there, medical marijuana was the big thing. oh my god the big thing right there was a huge protest happening to my right, then we were holding like the you know fair access to fertility treatment banners, and then some other. DWI group, I think the left, like crazy stuff was happening. But there's, (laughs) but that's just that's just like a Monday at the Capitol, so that's very normal. (laughs) But not if you don't know that you're like, what the hell is happening? So I'm just holding a banner, like I have no idea what I'm doing. But I was the token single girl, and I'm happy to represent. 
Um, and ironically enough, in New York, the people that are voting on this legislation actually have IVF coverage. So there was some irony in that that I couldn't really let go of. So state workers have coverage. Oh, um, the rest of us do not. Wow. So, but it's like anything. The more we talk about it, if people understand it, then maybe some change happens. And really what was happening, which was this blows my mind. What we saw happen a couple of times was that there was a receptionist who really got her attention. So, for example, her daughter just went through IVF. She's sure as hell going to pass that information on to the important people. Mm-hmm. She's like the keeper of all the information. So you start with that person and then like the aide would come out. We weren't always talking to like the big wigs, mm-hmm. but we were talking to people that were passing the information on. And what what's the name of the bill in Albany that you guys are supporting? It's F-A-F-T-A, Fair Access to Fertility Treatment Act. Awkward. And that's what yours is called. But if there's one in Chicago, it might have a different name or does everybody, is everybody? Okay. Correct. So this advocacy, this lobbying is happening, not just in New York, right? Do you know Mm -hmm. all the other places or do you know some of the other places where this is happening? Is it a coordinated effort or is everyone kind of flying solo wherever they are? Yeah. I mean, I don't off the top of my head. I do know because I resolve is really good about reporting. I want to say, I just saw that Delaware had something go through. Um, Certainly there's a lot of states other than New York that are doing exactly the same thing. Um, And the Resolve site, which I follow on Facebook, does give a lot of updates about the different states that are passing. And there's more and more and more states that are passing it. So I think things are certainly going in the right direction because we should be hitting a point very soon where this is considered the medical diagnosis that it is. And none of us are even having this conversation. Right. It's time. Yeah. Come on. I mean, and you would hope eventually federally, this is just a thing, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I've, I've long believed that if they can eliminate smoking in bars, we can make any change in the world. Oh my God. The, re- the reason I quit smoking was because you couldn't smoke in bars. You can't smoke <laughs> in bars. And so when, you know, gay marriage, I was like, if they could eliminate smoking in bars, they will make gay marriage legal. And then they that have. That is amazing. If they can eliminate smoking in yes. bars. Like that is literally like my litmus <laughs> test for the possibilities of the democratic process. That is amazing. <laughs> when that started, I was like, oh, it's this never is gonna never going to happen. You know, I've been playing gigs in smoky clubs for 10 years. I'm like, this is never going to happen. And lo and behold, there's no smoking in bars. That's so funny. <laughs> Do you have a father? I mean, any type of father? Then you're gonna wanna hear a new series called Tell Me About Your Father. It's all about father figures, daddy issues, and dismantling the paternal mystique. Tell Me About Your Father aims to unpack all facets of the father, the loving, the ambivalent, the supportive, the irresponsible, the wealthy, the living, the dead. These are the fathers who built us up and, well, let us down. It's free therapy, but funnier and just as deep. Tell Me About Your Father Season 1 is available now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And I want to pause for a sec because I know we've mentioned Resolve a couple times, but what exactly is Resolve? Is it still something people can get involved in? What What is it? Is it a network? Absolutely. Resolve is the National Infertility Association. So they do, there's lobbying efforts. They're 
sort of have their hands in the pot with any fertility related legislation. Mm. Um, but they also have support groups. They do walks and a lot of information sharing. It's like a kind of the gatekeeper of all the information. And they do a ton of events, just a lot of awareness there. I was just thinking about that the local chapter recently because with the holidays coming, they're always really good oh. about sending out information that you can give to other people, oh. um, which I have found super helpful. Yeah. Um, I have learned the hard way that it is so much more helpful to reach out beforehand and been like, this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. This is what might be helpful. For example, reaching out to my family before Christmas, which I will. If I've learned to say if I walk away for a second because I'm upset. Don't worry about it. I'm coming right back. It's like the Maureen holiday primer. Absolutely. And I always thought it was a little presumptuous, but I've, I've kind of learned the hard way that everyone's so awkward that they'd rather have the information. That's really smart. And I, and I know that when your friends care about you, they will fully appreciate that too, because they don't want to have to dance around it. Right. That walking around on eggshells bit drives me crazy. And I was like, wait, I can kind of be a part of fixing that. I, I used to literally, a cycle would end. And I did the same thing. I would, we'd go out and party. I would, I wouldn't talk about it. We'd get drunk. My sister, my poor sister, she would, she'd party, she'd plug through, but she'd be so confused. Why are we doing this? You just got a negative, to, like five hours before. I'm like, get dressed, we're going out. And that's how, yeah. I, and then three weeks later, I'd be ready. We'd move forward. I'd start planning. But as the years went on, that got harder and harder to do. So, yeah. And then what do you do for self-care? What do you do to heal yourself? Do you, do you bring yourself joy? I know you like to go drinking, which is perfectly acceptable. It's funny. We, that was actually the first family conversation we had was I was like, oh, shit, I don't think I can really drink this Christmas. And I have a party family. And yeah. that's what I love about us. And I, no joke, just had my first FaceTime conversation over the weekend. and was like, hey, heads up. I'm not partying this Christmas, but do not read into that. Like right. I need to tell you all that right now. And my brother was like, I don't, what do you mean you're not drinking? That's weird. I don't, I don't really, we don't know how to function. But anyways, um, <laughs> I just joked about this with a friend. I was like, Hey, I'm going off grid this weekend. I'm shutting my mm-hmm. phone off. I cannot, I can't people I've got to go. It's the only way I can balance my life in kind of the social work world. And this, Yeah. I just realized that I needed to be kind of in my home, little safe space and turn my phone off for a little bit. And I'm a phone person, mm-hmm. like a, I'm a texter and a, and I have learned to stay off social media. Yes. I, and that yeah. was a hard lesson for me. That's a big I one. love that world. Um, and also I've recently started taking myself off of, for example, a fertility support group on Facebook. It's a private group and I love that they offer that, but I have learned that there are times where I can't even be in that world and I have to completely mm-hmm. come off of all of that. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to say the going off grid thing. It doesn't mean like people can't actually reach out to me, but it may just mean that I'm cheesy and I'm not leaving my apartment for two days and I'm watching like Hallmark movies, right? That's exactly what I mean. I think it's, you know, as we identify triggers, I think it's also very valuable to identify the escape plan from time to time. And what is that for each of us? And it will be different for each of us. It's Hallmark movies, it's hiking, it's, we also hit that point. We adopted a dog after our eighth embryo transfer failed of 10. She's like the light of our lives. She's sitting right here. Um, And that was a fabulous thing to do and also quite a distraction. So that worked out nicely. (laughs) That's Um, why I have like pink hair and tattoos. There we go. It's funny, my, uh, I, after my last, canceled cycle I did but I do I didn't get a tattoo this time I went out I colored my hair and I walked in my therapist just said oh crap like <laughs> something happened, I was happened? Like, yeah. exactly 
So we're back at present day. Yep. So you're diving into one more round. Yep. We've got the eggs. We're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, we are going to assume that that will work. So let's just say it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Do you, you mentioned adoption a couple of times. Do you, ha- is that your sort of your next plan if you move away from IVF? I am. Yes. So I am incredibly conflicted with that. And here's why I would have been okay going that route years ago. Mm. <laughs> The problem is, as far as being selected by a birth mom, in the adoption world, too, you're aging. Oh, right. You know, and the tricky thing, too, I think, is going into that not partnered is a is more complicated in for me, in right. my view, than IVF. And the worst part is I understand it. <laughs> when I worked with this really fantastic attorney and I had said to her, like, give it to me straight. I want all the facts. And she said it's going to be... Married couple, gay married couple, single. Mm. So really, logically speaking, to me, I understand if you were searching for a family for your child that you were giving up, of course you would choose a family unit and a mother and a father or a mother, mother, father, father. I don't dispute any of that. She was very honest about the fact that that makes it complicated. It doesn't make it, make it um, not possible. Mm-hmm. But for me, I actually had intended to walk away from IVF way sooner than I have to go that route. The other part of it is that as a social worker, my heart will always, always be drawn to foster care. Mm -hmm. I am painstakingly aware of all the children that need homes. I'm also very aware of the complications that go along with that. And I think some of that information is complicated for me. I work with a lot of foster kids in the job that I have right now, but my heart still goes that route. So I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks at some point there has to be a purpose to all of this and I'll find my way. I just don't know. I need to kind of close this door first before I can do that. I know that I won't stop. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. But how this ends up, I just yeah. I don't know. What I had initially tried to do was to sort of tap into all of those. I was going to try IVF, look into adoption agencies, explore foster care until I realized I could not do all three of those at once. It was taking it. I didn't have the like, emotional capacity, quite frankly, mm-hmm. for all of that. So you never know. And of course, you may also wind up partnered with someone who has kids at some point. And with that, how would that feel for it's you? It's so interesting. It's the only way my dating life I actually see being successful is if we're sort of co co-parenting. Yeah. It's just interesting. Because a lot of people are scared off by that, especially once people are dating in their 40s. They are often, you know, dating people who have kids or divorced or whatever. And I would think for a lot of people, they would feel like a risk. Whereas for you, it'd almost be like a bonus, like, oh, and they have kids. You know? Sure. <laughs> Nowadays, if you take these long breaks, like you said, it's restorative and it's just sort of needing some time to heal. But there was a point maybe earlier on when you were taking the breaks because you were actually dating someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something about doing this on your own that a lot of people forget to think about is it's not irresponsible to take breaks. It's not like you're off on a bender for six months. Like if you're dating someone, it's like, well, maybe I'm not going to have to deal with any of that. Why would I start doing IVF if like maybe this is my guy and we're going to have kids, you know? (laughs) It's so close to your head because you're like, I'm going to have the ideal. I'm not going to do it this way. And And the interesting thing for me is I really, it's twofold because I think earlier on those breaks and when I would, go back on mesh and I'd be out dating was a desperate attempt to just have some normalcy back. Yeah. And I did try dating at different parts in this process. Um, and it's, it's funny to look back because there are, were times when that was really fun and I was out there and I was back in the game and I was pretending that I wasn't kind of doing this. And then I would inevitably hit that spot where I was like, Oh, this is going to come up and we have to kind of talk about this. Mm. Um, and there were a few instances where that was like, 
we're done. That's weird. Mm -hmm. And you lied to me. God, but when do you bring it up? I mean, how do you, you know, is it in your profile on match.com? Right. And this is why, and I don't, I can tell you, I honestly never did quite figure that part out. It's, you know, because if you're out there and you're dating and it's just typical dating, you're not on the first date being like, by the way, you want babies? Like no one's saying that. That's weird. (laughs) Right. But in our in my world that the whole time you're like painstakingly aware of it right so it's right and then I think again part of it was when I'm not cycling I really just desperately need life to be normal I I just want to be whatever that means right like and what I inevitably discovered was whether I'm cycling or not this is my new normal this is Hmm. who I am and until I'm done with this I can't really fully move on as a female, it's hard. Like, yeah. am I being too aggressive? Am I coming on too strong? Am I scaring the crap out of you? Right. But you also have this thing in the back of your mind, like, I have no time to waste. Right. Um, and I can assure you there is no bigger buzzkill than IPF <laughs> when, when you're trying to date. And I don't know. Like, it was like a, actually a family conversation, like wh- like the jokey thing, like, when do you bring it up? Right. And I don't I really have the answer for that. Um, my last relationship ended because I started this process. Oh, <laughs> awkward. Um, <laughs> didn't want kids. Um, but also why I delayed some of this is because I wanted to see, you know, kind of where that was going to go. I will tell you the deal. silver lining. Nothing seems, nothing seems crazy after this. Yeah. Like, and I don't know that anything could be harder than this, to be honest. There were things that used to terrify me that I could give a crap about. Like things don't scare me the way they used to, because IVF's pretty goddamn scary. Right. It's like so, worse than everything um, else. Yeah. It, right. Like it's just, there's, there's nothing worse that could happen to me at this point. Right. right? It's just so bring it is kind of how I feel about it. But I mean, not really. Don't bring right. it. That sounds scary, but don't do that. Actually, don't, don't. I take that erase, back. erase. Don't. Delete, I've, had, I've, had, I've had enough. Delete. Um, right. And so it, finally, is there anything else you'd like to add at the end of every interview? I've just been asking people, is there anything we didn't cover? Any advice, any opinions, your soapbox, anything, oh. uh, an anecdote, anything you feel like, you know, you would like to say to the world? The one thing that comes to mind is you're saying that is I really can't stress enough and I don't, no one talked to me about this before. So I speak from learning the hard way, but the whole notion of addressing our mental health in this process, I think is crucial. Mm. And I think whatever that looks like for that person, I think that's just so important because it can be really hard to maintain that mm-hmm. <laughs> during all of this. So it does. Of- and it really, you know, it really is a minefield. I mean, that's why I think people mm-hmm. do tiptoe because Right, for sure. They don't know where you might be at any given moment. Sometimes something's funny. Sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes it's, you may, you know, it just depends on like what happened to you yesterday with this stuff. And it's so back and forth. It's like seeing pregnant people is very upsetting to me. But seeing babies, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of fine with, like, because I can't quite picture what that is yet. No, I totally know. I actually, in my job, I have hit the point where I've never thought I would be, which is where I cannot interact with any pregnant clients, which makes me feel like I'm not doing my job. Thankfully, I have two other um, people that work with me. They're like, Oh, I got it. But yeah. I'm watching people get pregnant, like, you know, five, six, seven times, oh my and gosh. trying to navigate that. And I'm a little bit rageful about it. And I don't even really have a close connection with these people. And I want to be able to do my job. But I, I think stuff like that can pop up at any moment, too, which I think is just again, like this whole landmine thing where you just never really I mean we can prepare for all of that stuff (laughs) but yeah I I do think um much in the same way that I think grief pops up like it's just when you least expect it it's sort of poof there it is absolutely one of the best 
things I learned from this therapist was to identify the triggers, call them what they are, because if you name it, then you can deal with it. And I actually have these weird triggers where I would go to lobbying and feel like this is going to be the, so good, like a full day of like sharing my story. And it was actually the doctor's voice that was actually triggering me. And I love him. So it was weird and confusing. and I didn't understand. Um, and my therapist had said, yeah, it's bringing you back to, you just miscarried. And you don't want to hear his voice again. Oh, um, but wow. I had a mammogram, I think two weeks ago and they ended up doing an ultrasound, not even the same body part. And I had like a full blown panic attack because you can't find what you're looking for. Oh my God. And yeah. you're all being silent. And I feel like you're about to tell me bad news when over the summer I'm sitting in an ultrasound and they don't find a heartbeat anymore. Mm. Everything looks similar. And yeah. you know, like logically, this is not the same thing. But I think it's astounding that it doesn't take that much to bring you back there again. Oh, yeah. I just think they can sneak attack at any moment. And like you said, the, the grief, grief is a tricky little bit <laughs> that when we don't know how to deal with it, it just sneaks up. And I wish every doctor's office had someone that was in there and, and addressing that. I think I know um, in my next life, I'll be doing mental health counseling right in the fertility office because it blows my mind. that it's not a part of the practices to begin with, because I just don't think anyone teaches us how to navigate grief in this process. It's not like we're going to funerals. We have no idea what we're supposed to be doing. And right. there's so much loss. So that and I think also learning don't hesitate to advocate for yourself, too, because I cannot tell you I don't have a problem asking questions or making a fool of myself. But and I do make a fool of myself a lot, but I just talked to someone the other day that said, I don't want to question my doctor. And I could talk for days about how the fact that we know our bodies better than anyone and that if you're working with a doctor that doesn't ever want to hear what you have to say about your body or how it's working or what's going on, then you need to find another doctor. Yeah. So I think kind of trusting your gut and I went through hell and back again with doctors that didn't listen to me. And, and that's kind of how I got here, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but my take home from that was, if I have questions, I ask them and we're sort of trained not to speak up, I think. And I think it's important that we that we know that we can mm -hmm. and that we need to really, particularly with what we're investing in this process. We have if your gut's on fire, say something because we have to be literally or figuratively. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think there's so much self-doubt that comes in once you are in this world of infertility, but it's okay to still trust yourself. I guess that will kind of, I'll, I'll end on that. This was really so wonderful, Maureen. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I, I really appreciate it. And your spirit and your fire and your gut. It's great to have you as part oh, of thank this. Thank you. And um, yes, well, good luck with the next round. Thank you very much. And good luck awesome. to you too. Thank you so much. The interview was supposed to end here, but I decided I hadn't had enough of Maureen, so I called her back a few weeks later for some big updates. <laughs> so um, certain pieces of FAFTA, the Fair Access to Fertility Treatment Act, mm -hmm. um, yep. I think you said they had passed the House and the Senate. Yes. So it did pass both the Senate and the House. And so this is a big deal. This is like new news since the last time huge, I talked to you. Huge. Right? So it was twofold. There was the IVF coverage, which we needed because we were so behind the times. And I yeah. think now there's 16 states that have that. But don't quote me on that. And the other part of it was fertility preservation for cancer patients, which is if someone was going through chemo and had, and I just spoke with someone the other day, actually, that's going through this and had about 24 hours to freeze, decide to freeze her eggs and come up with the money. That part will now finally be covered by insurance as well. Wow. The, the egg retrieval and the, the cryopreservation 
which is incredible. That's amazing. And, and how it wasn't covered already, like, blows my mind. Right. But at any rate, really, really big news. And so our, our previous interview ended with you were about to start a new cycle. You had gone out, you had partied, you had geared yourself back up again. You were steeled, you were ready. Yeah. Can you give us an update on what's happening with you now? So I did gear up. I did a cycle in March. It's funny, I was thinking today, those, the breaks in between my cycles are catastrophically long. And I guess that's just who I am. And I just have to be okay with that. So I cycled in March and it did not work. And that was donor eggs and donor sperm. Correct. At this Correct. point. So do, your Correct. embryos are made, right? You're just doing Correct. frozen transfers. Okay. Yes. But the transfer itself did not work. No answers. Mm-hmm. I tried to cycle again in September and that dragged out through almost mid-October and was canceled. So that's oh. kind of where I'm at right now. Um, canceled why? Because you, they were waiting for your levels to be correct or? Yeah. My hormones just literally never cooperated oh. ever, ever. Yeah. So I have three embryos left. Oh. And... I will keep going. But there was a, once I started thinking, I don't know that I can do this anymore. I knew I had to pause and and figure that part out. And so that's what's been happening since between March and September was really reevaluating whether or not, I mean, I was just exhausted in every sense. Yeah. So, but I got my juju back and I'm ready to go. So, I mean, that's great. And, you know, and I think you need those moments. You have to take that time to sort of figure this stuff out. And, and the incredibly excruciatingly frustrating thing about unexplained infertility, which is your diagnosis, which was my mm-hmm. diagnosis, mm-hmm. is that it covers everything. So mm-hmm. it's literally where science ends. That is where it ends. It's just excruciating when you don't have answers. It's the absolute biggest mind. You can say ever. fuck. <laughs> okay, it's, it's the biggest. It's, and it's, I, it, as you're saying it right so, now, I'm like, I'm nodding so aggressively at what you're saying because yeah. it's the biggest mind fuck. Because the pregnancies are the two that I had were what kept me going, right? Because when you go and you talk, they're like, well, we don't think you should it's a slippery slope for me. I want answers and I feel I deserve answers. But if I start testing, I can go down a rabbit hole that is so dark where I'm, I mean, I just tested my own antibodies with like an at home kit because no one would listen to me. Wow. And then, you know, I have people being like, okay, here we are again. Like my closest friends being like dial back. I know what this means, Right. but I am so just disgusted with not having answers. But when you go to a provider and they, and they're right, they're like, well, you've had those pregnancies. So those pregnancies can keep you going and also mess with your head at the same time. Totally. There was a time when I thought, I just wish I never got pregnant because I could walk away from it a little bit easier. Right. But today, as I'm talking to you, I think, thank God I've had those two pregnancies because I know that I'm not totally insane and this is possible. Right. So, and it depends on the day. Um, There was a cycle that I convinced myself briefly i don't actually believe this now i was chugging tonic water i am a huge tito's and tonic fan i love tonic water and i had read an article about how the quinine in it is you shouldn't have when you're pregnant and i was i remember calling my sister being like i miscarried because of tonic oh god but yeah you can make yourself certifiably insane i just said that recently i was like hey to my friend yeah book me like a bed in the psych ward i'm heading there oh god (laughs) i'm just letting you know i mean i'm kind of joking right but yeah it's insane well um i will say two things one is as an addendum to your tonic water story it also the quinine is supposed to cure restless leg syndrome which i saw suffer from acutely and it has not made one single bit of difference so it probably also does not prevent pregnancy i'm just going to 
to put that out there. Well, and then I'm a social worker, right? You're like, and I shouldn't say this, but you're like, okay, so my client is using crack on the regular and just had a baby, but she's good. But my diet tonic just completely miscarried me, right? right? Oh my God. Well, and the second thing I will say on sort of an up note is it's coming around to holiday season again, which means lots of new Hallmark movies are going to be coming out. I legit. (laughs) And if my boss is listening to this at some point, yes, I watched one this morning before work. I tape those around the clock. Honest to God, these and comedy shows have, I just said to a friend that's starting the process. Yeah. I said two things like, do not listen to the thousand things that people are going to tell you to do because it's insane. And people are coming from a place of trauma. Right. The other is find what's going to make you laugh because life is hard. Life is hard. We need comedy. And that is basically the sole core of this podcast, which is why it's called IVFU. You know what? Right there is when I realize that I can't do that is when I take my breaks Mm, because I find most things ludicrous and I have a real dark sense of humor. But if I can't find any of that, then that's how I know it's time to hit the pause button and uh, reboot a little bit. I think that's very smart. This is ludicrous, quite frankly. (laughs) Ludicrous. Right. Ludicrous and brave and very determined and very respectable. It is what it is. I feel like I say that a hundred times a day to the point where I'm tired of hearing myself say it, but it is what it is, right? This is the right. card we were handed. Well, Maureen, thank you so much for doing a little uh, revisit with me. I so appreciate it. And I'm very excited to have you as a, a very vibrant part of this podcast. And, you know, <laughs> I nice wish you all it. the luck with numbers one, two, and three coming up. Hey. It's- you never it know, be, right? It could be the one, right? That's all we know. Crazier things crazier, have happened. Way right? crazier. Way crazier things have crazier. happened. All right. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, you so all much. Right. Thanks for joining me for episode seven of IVFU. Come back to us episode eight, where you'll meet Savannah, a therapist specializing in infertility issues who admits to her own moments of insanity on the way to creating a family. And then I just was like, eggs, where am I going to get my eggs? <laughs> eggs. You, you walk know, down the street see. and every woman oh my just God. looks like an egg. Every yeah. woman, I'd be like, wow, nice curves. <laughs> yeah. You know, that she looks fertile. <laughs> the IVFU podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaber, and Emmeline Summerton. And we'd love to hear from you. Please join our conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. For episode transcripts and to download our theme song, Freak in Love, by Sam Shaber and The Happy Problem, visit IVFUPodcast.com. IVFU is distributed by Inside Voices Media. Our mixer is Allison Wilson, with additional sound design by J.C. Swatek. Our live story segment was recorded at the Music Hall of Williamsburg in New York City as part of the Moth Grand Slam. If listening to these stories helped you and you think they might help someone else, we'd love it if you could help keep it going by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also be a huge help in making season two a reality by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and paypal.me at IVFU Podcast. Thank you and thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together because remember, it's all about being a family. Thank you.